This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Deuter is known for fit, comfort, and ventilation. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in good-fitting backpacks, so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive one free week. It helps support the show and it helps support you. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress. And tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. Today we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means come on in a way or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now let's cut to the chase. LA Outdoor Personal Care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes, and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. You can win a year's supply of LA product by following them on Instagram. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z, posting a story about an upcoming or past adventure and tagging them. LA will announce one winner per episode. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Terakaya, made by women for women, is redefining the standard with sizing. The Torah basewear top is their swim-friendly sports bra that's designed for outdoor adventure. So you can hike, sweat, and climb to the summit in comfort. You can even wear it camping for days on end. It just about never gets gross. Trust me, I have tried. You can take 10% off with code for the love of climbing and show your support for the show. Go ahead and throw out your other sports bras because basewear is the only top you'll pack. Feel naked, go anywhere, look great. I think I'm just going to introduce myself as just Sudha, that's it. Suda and I sit in her kitchen where she's making me breakfast. It's late October and the air is crisp and cool. Perfect sending temps. I'm on my way to Philadelphia from the gunks, but I stop in New Jersey to meet Suda for a few hours and I'm greeted by her dog at the door. (coughs) 
I'm a few minutes early and Suda immediately starts preparing Udapam, which is a type of dosa from South India. Unlike typical dosa, which is more like a crepe, Udapam is a thick, savory pancake. It smells so good as it sizzles on the stovetop. It's crisp on the bottom, but soft and fluffy on top because of the fermented lentils and rice batter. Suda serves it with chutney. She then peels the skin of several pomegranates as she tells me how much the seeds remind her of her father. We talk about racism growing up in India and her struggle to find climbing partners as a female mountaineer and mother. Don't summit, I don't summit. I'm going to go beyond the Nali, you know. So again, I went off by myself. you're gone for so long then what did your daughter do it's mostly women asking me these questions not as much the men you know just like you know women are mostly family oriented there's a lot of times in my own life that i've accepted some things as like oh because i'm a mother i can't do that and i feel like okay that's where my place is maybe i should just do that we all talk about how come there are not as many women out there i know why society puts different expectations on a woman versus a man society sets you back from moving forward and unfortunately from my experience it's mostly women setting women back we don't encourage each other as a man would encourage another man you're listening to for the love of climbing podcast this is not a climbing podcast well sorta This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Dirtbag Climbers. Here's the show. I grew up in southern India and moved here when I was about 21. I had a great upbringing in many ways because my dad was totally open-minded. Single father raised me and that's where I feel my free spirit comes from because he's never told me in my entire life you're a girl you can't do that never. And then what surprised me is I never felt like I can't do that because I'm a woman till I was in a western society and started doing things that were not common for western women to be doing that let alone an indian woman to be doing that why can't i do anything you know i just wanted to do anything that i felt excited about i, I thought i could just do it i rode a motorcycle because it's just natural for me and everybody was like oh i never took you for a what's that motorcycle mama you know that's what my colleagues would even remark growing up in india i wanted to ride a moped and back then none of the women rode in my town which is actually a capital city it's not like a small village we just asked my dad like dad i want to get a moped and he's like yeah sure go get a moped he never he never said no to it and then i remember actually when um, my sister and i were riding mopeds they took a picture saying that now women are riding article in the newspaper so we were the first ones to ride in my town at that time Back home, societal norms encourage Suda to focus on her studies. More than education though, society put an emphasis on getting married and starting a family. But because her father had such a progressive mindset, Suda instead moved to the US and she received a double master's degree in computer science and math. It was a different life from where she had grown up and she missed her father, but she enjoyed the new life she had built despite naysayers from back home. The reason I moved was really just because my sister was here. You know, I was missing my sister because I grew up without a mother and looked up to my sister as my mother and when she moved here and I wanted to also come follow her. 
friends and even my cousins that were intelligent and wanted to study were not encouraged to go to college because their parents thought the best thing to do for a girl is to get them married and you know otherwise they're a burden so women doesn't need to study as much not my father my father never looked at us as a burden because we were girls and then once my sister left to go to school in US and I was like oh I'm so lonely I miss her and he said who's stopping you my dad was definitely criticized like what are you doing you know they're single how come you're sending them away you know to the point even like oh why are you getting them educated so much you know because then you'll have to find somebody that's as educated as them my dad was just like my daughters want to study they'll study when they want to get married they'll get married you know that was his attitude he just did what felt right for him and what he thought was right for us asian society expects you to just go get good education go get a good job make a lot of money and you're successful that's where they drive you towards we're talking about bubbles that was the bubble that i grew up in is that education is the most important thing but that's not really true at all for me the most important thing and best thing that ever happened to me by coming here is that i discovered the open spaces Suda didn't have the luxury of open spaces growing up in India. It was just so overpopulated that the idea of enjoying the outdoors recreationally didn't really exist. Even hiking is still kind of a foreign concept there. In 1996, Suda began working as an IT consultant, which kept her busy, not only during the work week, but during weekends and evenings as well. What are you doing this weekend? And I'm like, what else would people do on weekends so, uh, i'll be in the lab working on my project you know so i i never got the concept of doing stuff on weekend either i was always just like studies suda buried herself in her work until one day a coworker invited her to a slideshow about the appalachian trail suda had never heard anybody talk about the outdoors like that and was in absolute awe friends invited her to go hiking through an outing club at work and a day hike quickly turned into whole weekend spent climbing rafting and more i went with her and she was trying to quit smoking at that time so she didn't enjoy it and i had a blast Now I had plans for weekend, you know. I would work all week, but every weekend I would just go hike. And then one thing led to the other. They will talk about, "Oh, we're going canoeing." I'm like, "What is that? I want to go canoeing. I want to go rafting." I just fell in love with the outdoors. To me, it brought it like a different self of me out. In wonder, in excitement, in love. So there used to be a motorcycle club that they went for lunch rides. I was like, "Oh, I always rode mopeds and scooters back home and I love it." On one of those lunch rides, I mentioned to them that I went rock climbing about a month ago and I just loved it. Lucky me that one of the guy knew somebody that climbed at the Gunks. So he said, "You want me to introduce you to him?" And I'm like, "Yes, please." I remember my very first climb was actually Gelsa that he took me up, which had a little traverse, I guess, being the new being i i slipped on the traverse and took a little swing my friend that took me there he made a remark you are fearless in discovering the outdoors suda found her happy place which is also conveniently where she found a husband it was through the outing club at work and she wasn't particularly interested at first but suddenly the pressure to get married and start a family started to feel real Again being a woman I guess you know your biological clock is running everybody started saying about like oh you should get married I was like ah oh, okay you know outdoors is very important and I thought he is also into outdoors and I told him that oh, that's the most important thing for me and I just asked him to get married without really even dating 
there was not that much of that concept of dating in India. I also, I think, felt to just gave into what the society was expecting of me at that time. I just wanted to show them that I could get married if I wanted. I wasn't living my life at that time, and right, I was living what was expected of me. You know, getting the education, getting the job, and getting married. Then I had a daughter. And by this point, already I've done every week in Catskills in the winter. I didn't mind sleeping in the cold or you know sleeping in the tent and spending time out when it's in blizzard. And I I remember during that time my friends would say, oh. God, I'm so happy. Tonight I'll be sleeping in my bed. And I'm like, I don't know. I never feel that excitement. You know, and on the other hand, I'm sad that we have to now go back to living in like between four walls. I never miss the comforts of home at all. You know, I just was at home in the mountains. Even after I had my daughter, I would backpack. I would put her in the front pack and I would carry a backpack on my back. I think my daughter was about five months old when I first did backpacking trip with her. Everybody used to make the remark that once you have a kid, you know, that's going to be the end of it. But for me, it's like nothing could stop me. So I would just take her with me. And it's like the best thing because she had grand old time and I had grand old time, you know, it's just great. Having a daughter wasn't going to stop Suda from spending time outside. In fact, it only encouraged her to spend more time outdoors with her daughter, taking her on backpacking trips and going hiking and rock climbing in the gunks with her. I watched Suda carefully with every word she spoke. I watched as her eyes lit up as she described snow camping in the dead of winter or ice climbing in the Catskills, where I'd first met her about a year ago. Being outdoors filled every corner of Suda's life and began opening doors to new opportunities. In 2008, Suda decided that she wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. I asked my husband, like, let's go do Kilimanjaro. I want to really go climb Kilimanjaro. And he was also open to that. And my in-laws were also nice enough to say that they would watch my daughter. The best part about climbing Kilimanjaro is meeting all these people from all over the world that just are into mountaineering. And they were telling me stories. We do this in Italy or I did this where. And I was like, wow, I came back from the trip. I guess I always had the passion, but it lit up in me, right? The light was lit. Every chance I had at my work, if I had a little downtime, I'd be like looking to see what else. At work, someone mentioned seven summits. And I, then I was like, what is that? And I started just looking on the computer. No Indian has done the seven summits. I want to be the first Indian to climb seven summits. The seven summits are the highest mountains of each of the seven continents, and summiting them is no small feat. The internet told me that it can take years to complete all seven, and it's considered one of the highest respected accomplishments within the sport of mountaineering. To be honest, I'm mostly into type 1 climbing, but that's just me. Suda, on the other hand, wasn't afraid of the challenge, and she friggin' took that summit by storm. After I came back from Kilimanjaro, I came all like energized. Like there are so many mountains to climb, so many places to go. And then my husband saying that I'm not into climbing big mountains and I don't want to do that anymore. I kind of was a little disappointed because even though I wasn't as aware of what I really want to do at that time, I still knew outdoors was important to me. So that was all I was focused on. Like, oh, he loves outdoors. I love outdoors. That's the most important. When we came back from Kilimanjaro, his family was just very proud that he's climbed the highest in Africa. Look, Bill went to Africa and climbed a big mountain. And then he didn't want to do it anymore. But I still wanted to do 
Kilimanjaro changed everything. Suda thought about the seven summits every waking moment, and she began making plans to become the first Indian woman to summit all seven peaks. But as it turned out, things had changed for her husband after Kilimanjaro as well. And at that time, then my husband said, oh no, because it will affect my retirement plans, right? That's the first time I felt like, I don't know, let down. Not because I can't do the seventh summit. It's more about here I am making way more money than my husband. Never once thought, oh, but he doesn't make as much because outdoors was important to me. He didn't say, isn't that dangerous? What if something happens to you? The first thing that he said is, you can do it as long as it doesn't affect my retirement. It's okay, you know, I don't need to climb seven summits. Anyway, for, for, for a little bit, I just let it go. Disappointment would be an understatement, but despite putting her dream on hold, Suda stayed active in the outdoor club at work. She still went hiking, she still climbed ice, and she still went rock climbing in the gunks. But the more time she spent in the outdoors, the more Suda saw how being a woman was an actual barrier. Wait, what? Some of you might be saying to yourselves, but climbers are way more woke than that, or I've never seen that happen in my gym. Well, you're wrong. And this was Suda's experience. There was one time on an occasion that my daughter was on a Girl Scout outing and one of the parents mentioned that he hikes Adirondack 46 ers And I was so thrilled because just such a commitment to go by myself. And I was like, wow, you know, I always wanted to do that. So anytime you're going, could you let me know? And on that outing itself, he said, oh yeah, in a couple of weeks we're planning. I happened to call his home and his wife picked up the phone and she said, it's bad enough that you're leaving your family and going and he's leaving his family and going. And I don't appreciate him going with another woman. So please don't call. Here I am in Western society. I'm married to a Westerner. I thought Western society is open-minded. And I'm hearing that I'm a woman, so I shouldn't be going with another man for a hiking trip. You know, I shouldn't be leaving my daughter for a week and go climb a mountain. You know, it's just... It kind of sets me back in a way, you know, I used to go with the full vigor, like, you know, it's me, I can do anything. Now I'm like, oh, I'm a mother, so I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I'm a woman. I don't know if they would like it if I ask them that I want to join. And also from the experience of like looking for partners, I'm a woman and I'm an Indian woman. They think I'm going to be a weak link. Even after they get to know me, they would say that, yeah, because I have never seen another Indian woman climb, you know, so sometimes I lose out because they don't give me the opportunity to get to know me. Diversity in climbing is a difficult conversation for a lot of people. Despite growing support, the majority of climbing and other outdoor sports are still overwhelmingly homogenous, which can be a huge barrier of entry for some. Diversity in climbing is an emotionally loaded conversation, one that a lot of people tend to avoid. And if you're one of them, it's okay to admit that. But initiatives like Brothers of Climbing, Brown Girls Climb, and Melanin Basecamp aren't avoiding them because they're uncomfortable. So be sure to check them out after the episode. Leaders like Bethany Lebowitz, Melise Edwards, and Danielle Skye are prompting both companies and consumers to reconsider what representation in outdoor spaces look like. And a lot of the work that these women and so many others do is possible because of the power of social media.
But social media didn't always exist, at least not the way that it does today. Okay, humor me for one second. Once upon a time, people used to rely on, and I'm totally going to sound like a dinosaur when I say this, a website called meetup.com. Pre-Instagram age, this website was primarily utilized to facilitate meetings of groups of people, and it was the perfect tool for Suda to find climbing partners. Back then, social media wasn't there. In a way, I feel like if social media was there back then, I would have been somewhere else, you know. But there were like all these big groups of people climbing. And I said, how do you guys know so many climbers? I only know one person. They're like, oh, there's social media group. There's meetups. And do you go to the gym? You know, you can meet a lot of climbers. And I'm like, oh, I don't really go to the gym. You know, I just go with this one person that asked me to go climbing. So... Then I went back to my desk. Next week I'm working and I'm like looking for like, what's a meetup group? Suda relied on the World Wide Web and found herself a partner for Aconcagua, which is one of the seven summits. Even though Aconcagua is considered one of the easier peaks to climb, an average of 3,500 people attempt the summit every year, but only less than half will complete it. After she applied for a permit, her partner wound up dropping out because he didn't feel like he was ready. But Suda was, and her mind was already made up. She wasn't going to let that or anything stop her from going. When I went to Kilimanjaro with my husband, my family readily offered to watch my daughter. But then when I said, oh, I want to go climb Aconcagua, they said, make your own arrangements because now they're not happy that I'm going without my husband. The thing here is that I worked for undersea fiber optic transmission field and we used to have cable stations all over the world and I would travel many times for a couple of weeks on a business trip. That time they would come and help me with my daughter. But if I went to climb a mountain for a few weeks, then all of a sudden it's become like, oh, how could you abandon your daughter and do that? And I'm like... Why is it abandoning? You know, I cook every meal for my daughter and my whole family, you know. My daughter never ate in the cafeteria. Every meal, I would wake up and make her breakfast before she left to school. I would make lunch, I would make dinner. And if I was going away for a few days, I would make sure there was food in the refrigerator, cooked, ready to eat. I did laundry, I did everything. But the minute you try to go, do something that you love to do, it was just like, we're not going to be encouraging you in that. But for me, nothing was going to stop me from what I wanted to do, you know. So I was stubborn and nothing brings me down. I went through all this and I'm not going to let this stop me now. So I'm going to go by myself and I'm going to go as far as I go. If I don't summit, I don't summit, but I'm just going to go do this trip. So I took off. Some people don't even like going camping by themselves, let alone go climb a 22,000-ish foot mountain. Aconcagua is the highest peak in South America, as well as in the Western Hemisphere outside of the Himalayas. Oh, and did we mention the blizzards yet? But you could drop Suda off in the middle of the woods in winter, and she would never feel out of place, not even for a second. Suda has a rule where she never takes the same trail twice. She always tries to find a circular route, and that's exactly what she had planned for Aconcagua. So same thing on the mountain, I wanted to circumnavigate the mountain. So I wanted to go from one end and come back on the other. Anyway, I wanted to do the more technical side, which is the Polish glacier side, and then come back from the normal route. Climbing with a guide was never an option for me, because that's me. My thing of climbing mountains is always that mountains should be climbed on your own terms. So I can't get mules. 
because that would be like cheating i was going to carry my entire weight on my back and do this expedition by myself and one good thing about actually i'm moving so slow it's not physically possible for me to move any faster than i was because i have all this weight on me which helped me acclimate i didn't even have a headache one day on the entire expedition that's one advantage of carrying my own load so i was happy that at least there's a, you know one good thing about it So the rangers on the Polish glacier side they were really friendly we were cooking together we were doing yoga together we were doing day hikes together and I really had a good time then i started moving up and i was just still doing really well acclimating myself drinking enough water i just did really well and i started moving up moved up to 20000 feet camp there was nobody with just me just me i thought oh tomorrow i'll summit summit is about 23000 and 800 or something like that i'll summit tomorrow and then i'll go back down to the normal route that was my plan but right after i moved to the 20000 feet camp it started blizzarding outside and trapped me in my tent for like a couple of days So what happened during that time is that because it's so cold and stormy outside I stopped melting snow for drinking water. So I wasn't drinking as much. I would put some snow in my water bottle and put it in my sleeping bag and that would barely melt and I would just drink a little bit. But I wasn't drinking as much as I should. So my body is at this point getting dehydrated and I didn't really realize that. And I guess if I had some sense I would have probably packed up and just given up and gone down. But I felt like I can do this. assuming that i could even get that far which would be a pretty bold assumption i probably would have packed up too but suda waited her time out on the mountain for 2 days do you know what you could get done in 2 whole days when you're not stuck in a tent in the middle of a blizzard i don't know probably a lot if you're like a motivated person online trip reports talk extensively about the section before the summit called the canaletta which is a steep talus field like section. Suda had read that most people leave their backpack before making the summit. She decided that she could move faster if she didn't have the weight on her back. It's only another 500 feet to the summit at this point. So I left my backpack down and really couldn't spend much time at the summit because it was bitter cold and started coming down. Getting through the canaletta was treacherous travel, exposed travel and uh, I made the summit and turned back my head lamp dies. Well, shit. The good news is we already know she makes it. The less good news is that Suda was stuck up there all night, pacing back and forth to keep herself warm. It wasn't until the next day that she finally made it back down to camp. Ready for the descent, things quickly went from bad to worse. And I was exhausted because now I'm out on the mountain for about 36 hours almost and I made it to my tent and I just was like laying down. At the summit, it was so cold, and I took my glove off to take one picture. But that exposed my bare skin, and right away gave me like the frostbite on my fingertips. And then I spent the night in that bitter cold, so my toes also had a bit of frostbite. 
Then the rangers showed up. From what she could understand, there had actually been an earthquake and a helicopter was coming to evacuate her. Because she had frostbite, they told her that she needed to evacuate for her safety. I was trying to tell them that I'm really exhausted. I want to come down tomorrow, but they're like insisted. And I said, okay, then let me pack up my stuff. And they said, no, it's fine. There's other rangers coming. They'll bring your stuff. Just come down. So I took my backpack and that's it. We come to the 17,000 feet camp and they said, oh, it's too windy. Helicopter can't come here. So just keep walking down. Eleven thousand feet. My camp is at twenty thousand feet. I'm at eleven thousand feet now. I had such a great time with the rangers on the Polish glacier side. I had no reason to think that anything but they're being helpful. But as soon as I came to the base camp, rangers just disappeared, and I didn't know what to do now. I had none of my stuff with me, and I didn't know. I happened to see a, another mountaineer that just made it to the base camp on a normal route. And I just started telling him that I submitted last night and I have a bit of frostbite and I'm not sure I can't find the rangers, you know. So he said, oh, let me see if I can go find and I'll talk to them because he spoke Spanish. He'll talk to them and he'll let me know. He comes back and he says, Sudha, they're not going to help you. They told him, don't worry about that black woman. She's just running away from somebody on the other side of the mountain. like what and he said you have three things going against you you're a woman you're dark-skinned you're by yourself they're not going to help you Did you not know that about Argentina that it's not a place for a woman to travel alone I said no I've always traveled everywhere and I would tell my boss that you can send me to Timbuktu and I'll go. I thought that world is so nice that you could go anywhere. And I never had any reason to think otherwise. So then he said, no, they're not going to evacuate you. They're not going to do anything. And if you want, you can just share my tent for the night. I had like nothing, no sleeping bag, nothing. I just laid on the floor that night. Because I was doing the trip on my own, I also made a decision to just only take one pair of boots, which were my plastic boots. And by next morning, my toes were blistered, like both my big toes were blistered, right? Now I had to put those heavy boots on my blistered toes in the morning. And the base camp doctor, who spoke English, actually, she showed up for the first time. She hasn't provided me any help when I came down the previous night. And she was saying that, oh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm hiking out. And she said... Oh, no, because um, the helicopter will be here. And I was like, I really need to go and catch my flight. And then other rangers show up. And they say, oh, you know, we are rangers here. That means we're the police. If we tell you you can't leave, you can't leave. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I really need to go. And I started taking stuff. And they, then they said, let us have your passport because we have to check you out. That's the first time fear came in me. I was like, oh my God, you know, if I gave them the passport, would they give it back to me? I don't know. So I, I lied to them. I said, I left it up in a tent. They were just so ruthless that a doctor said, you don't need that backpack to go out. So they wanted to steal my backpack off my back, 
I had a pair of gloves on my hand. They wanted the gloves. They're like, you don't need the gloves. You don't need those things. And I said, but how am I going to hike 30 kilometers? And she says, I can give you a shopping bag to put your water and food. And I said, no, I, I can't. And I just started walking. And the rangers literally followed me for a few kilometers just to intimidate me. So pretty much on that mountain, I lost everything that I took for my expedition. It's not humanly possible for me to go back up 10,000 feet to get my stuff. And they knew that. That was the reason why they took me away from my stuff. They had no intention of bringing it down to me. Nothing. Dalai Lama was once asked what troubles him the most about humanity. And he said that people are created to be loved and things are meant to be used. But we live in a society where things are being loved and people are being used. The rangers on the normal route only cared about what they could take from Suda and showed not even an ounce of compassion. The entire experience left such a bad taste in Suda's mouth that she started to question whether or not she needed to climb anymore. She was happy hiking back home in the Catskills and she was happy to put her passion to climb big mountains on the back burner for a little while. I'm just happy being outside. I just want to enjoy outdoors. And it's more about the people, right? Frostbite didn't really deter me from wanting to do it. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm lucky enough that I didn't lose any of my digits. I don't know that anything could have deterred you at yeah. that point. Yeah. So you had a birthday party to go to. Yeah, yeah. Even though Suda made it back down the mountain in time to catch her flight, because of the earthquake, it was canceled. Suda had summited on the 10th and came back down on the 11th, but the delay caused her to miss her daughter's birthday on the 14th. This was another reason why Suda asked herself if these big objectives were worth it. When I called to wish her happy birthday, she was crying. She was crying and saying, well, mommy, why aren't you here? And she had plenty of family here, right? Her dad and her grandparents, you know, rather than them all saying that, oh, we'll have another birthday party when your mom comes here. Rather than that, see, your mom didn't even come back for your birthday. So that's what made her sad. And I said, no, honey, you knew I told you I was going to come back. It just so happened that I couldn't come back, you know. So once again, you kind of feel like, was it so important that I had to climb Aconcagua? Was it so important? You know, why do I have to make my little girl cry? That's what I feel like. So many men out there are doing so much. And I bet you they've never told that, oh, how come you abandoned your family? How could you leave your daughter and do this? So selfish, you know? Other thing also, if a man does climb a mountain and they'll talk like, wow, your father is so brave, so courageous, he does amazing stuff. When a woman does that, your mom is so crazy. You know why? There's still a huge controversy surrounding the subject of women high altitude climbers. And when I say controversy, I mean double standard. Ask anybody and they'll tell you that women are judged more harshly than men for engaging in the same behavior. As a woman mountaineer, Suda was subject to that same double standard. When she wasn't fighting the mountain, she was dealing with constant pushback. In 2012, Suda had one more phone call that made her question her passion again. This time, it was as she was preparing to summit Denali. And on that trip, when I called home, 
My daughter was crying because my husband was drunk. She didn't know what to do. And I didn't know till that point that he even rang. Really didn't know that. So I didn't know what to do. So I said, could you please call grandma? Tell her to come home. And then I also called his mother saying that, could you please go home? Because I don't know what's happening there. And then she said, you shouldn't be leaving your family and going climbing mountains. One more mountain you climb, I'm going to file for the custody of your daughter. It's not that her son was drinking while there was an 11-year-old daughter in, in, in the house, but it's my fault that I left the family to go climb. I'm, I'm like all the way in Washington, helpless. What am I going to do, you know? Maybe somebody can say, that's so selfish of you. Why did you still go climb with Denali? But I had a plan. It was happening one way or the other. You know, I'm going to make that happen. There was nobody stopping me from going to that mountain at this point. I still went and climbed Denali, but when I go to climb a mountain, it's really summiting is not important. I know in my head I want to summit, but the thought is like, I want to go experience Denali. That was the thought. I want to go experience Aconcagua. What does it look like? You know, I want to be on it. Luckily for me, that weather was just perfect. Denali was a much better experience than Aconcagua too because... People weren't trying to steal your stuff. Exactly. They are really nice. There's ranger support everywhere. The whole trip became very enjoyable. You know, I summited. Not one mention of like, that's amazing that you climbed something and nobody mentions anything about what I just did. It's not like I did it for them, but it's just the fact that how it was celebrated when I climbed Kilimanjaro versus how it was totally ignored when I climbed Aconcagua because it was just by myself. Other than the fact that they would mention to my daughter that how crazy I am. Your mom's just crazy. She's taken off again on one of her crazy things. You know what my sister said? Why do you have to talk about negative stuff? Because it's always shame. If you don't portray yourself as this perfect person with the perfect life, you're putting the family to shame. Even just my Aconcagua story, I feel like I want to say it somewhere public because you want other women to know what actually happens there. Do you want another woman to end up in a situation that you did? Tell your story so that maybe there's another woman that wants to go and they'll read your story and at least be aware what can happen so they can guard themselves. I wasn't aware. I was seeing the world as rosy at that time. And I was like, why would I not trust somebody? Just for that, just to make people aware, not that I want any sympathy, nothing that, but it's more about like, be aware, these things do happen, even though you may not come across it in your daily life. In addition to being threatened for her husband's decisions, Suda also receives harsh criticism from her side of the family too. Most of the criticism comes from other women. Hearing this made me want to explore the gender double-edged sword a little bit more, and I asked myself how many other women have to navigate these kinds of conversations in their daily lives. The answer is too many. It only emphasizes the importance of hearing stories like Suda's. Coming in from, again, Indian culture, I think, if you're not making money or moving up in your career, you're basically a loser. This is the thing, again. A woman is supporting her family. A man can turn around and say, no, you can't do it because it's going to affect my retirement plan. 
would a woman ever dare to say that to a man if man was the one supporting the family and even in the climbing community people make the comment you're too crazy but i don't see them saying the same thing to another man and i question myself well, many times i've questioned myself like why am i so different from other why can't i be just happy just be a mother i try i try to give up but my soul dies i feel like and i heard some place something about don't die while you're alive so i tell myself that i am dead without outdoors to my daughter we always say that realize your ability right you realize your full potential and why am i not doing that i know my potential that i can climb these mountains i'm capable and i want to and I, that's what i love and why am i not doing what i'm preaching my own daughter when i get outside it's not a positive experience I I go to into that phase and then I say if your daughter were to say this to you what would you tell her would you tell her yeah it's okay honey may it's not important why would not right so then why would you do that to yourself then what are you teaching her for my daughter even though people think it's the other way that for your daughter you shouldn't climb i feel like it's just the opposite for my daughter i should climb for my daughter to realize that it's okay as a girl as a woman or as any human being should follow their passion just do whatever makes you happy whatever makes you feel alive for me outdoors makes me feel alive i don't have to climb hard but that's what my heart always craves adventure so i think i won't ever give it up but there are definitely times now that i keep questioning myself this is suda's story but it's also a story for women everywhere it's a story about discovering the breadth of what it means to be a woman and a little reminder that we can all strive harder to celebrate the adventurous women and those who identify as women in our lives with the respect and support that all humans deserve Women are a lot of things. We're complex, we're coffee-fueled, we smell good. Sometimes we smell bad, sometimes we're hangry. But one thing is certain, we're fucking hustlers. We are strong, we are gritty, and we're determined. Suda found her place in the mountains, and this is her story. Sharing stories like these is meant to inspire, to heal, and to empower us, and to act as a reminder that a woman's place is exactly where she wants it to be. And that's the reason why I feel like sometimes it's so hard for a woman to follow her passion. I've realized my passion late in my life. I'm a mother. I'm already I'm a wife. I just tell other women that please encourage each other. And if you have a passion, follow that. Don't let the society lead your life. Make your own. I have lost a lot of time trying to make others happy and there's no point in uh, crying over spilled beans or whatever. But now I want to live every minute doing what makes me alive. You know what what makes me me. It's time for me to live my life. <laughs> you know better late than never right so i'm going to live my life because i've gone through and that's what i like to tell all the women out there to young women especially don't let your life pass you by like i did you know just realize your passion and follow that go after it you know just because we are women doesn't mean that we can't as we can
even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support this podcast, please check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can sponsor us for as little as $1 per episode. It really helps keep this podcast going. And I'm so grateful for all of your help. Special shout out to Cameron McAlpine because he makes this thing sound good. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the planet. LA Outdoor personal care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. And thanks to Terakaya. Go ahead and throw out your other sports bras because basewear is the only top you'll pack. Feel naked, go anywhere, look great. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time. I just want to tell Alex Honnold that can I just be your cook? Because I was listening and he said he's a vegetarian. And I was thinking, can I just make you meals? And if you ever need a belay, I'll belay you and just keep me outside.